Thriving on Wine and Cuss Words. I'm Emily. I'm Charlotte. Um, and something that we were kind of talking about is actually this episode's going to go out late. Um, it is super cold here. <laughs> it's cold and it's dark and I've been working nights. So it's just been even harder. And I was on that. nights this weekend. And I was just telling my mom that I did this really great yoga flow, um, yoga with Cassandra on YouTube you know, I'm no expert or anything. I just love practicing with her because she makes me feel really good. But she did this yoga flow talking about winter and how winter is the time to like, your body is going to want to mimic nature. It's going to want to slow down. You know, this is the time of the year where we slow down, where we spend more time doing nothing and sleeping more and eating more and going out less. And, and then we start to feel bad. Right, but you shouldn't feel bad. It's just because... Of like, it's, it's what needs to happen, right? It, and so it's it's that time of year where you should slow down. We have so much expectations on ourselves, and and we beat ourselves up when we don't feel those expectations. But just like you said, and and just like she said right before we uh, started this, and we were listening to it, we're not expecting the flowers to bloom next week, but we keep expecting ourselves to show up like flowers throughout the winter, throughout yeah, this time. This is a time to like restore and like recollect yourself. This is that time of the year where you kind of take inventory and mm-hmm. not take, feel like doing anything. And then you feel bad for not feel like doing anything. Feel I know. Like I know. Where you should be like, you know, more of a homebody, kind of restoring yourself, not wanting to do as much. Well, you said yesterday we were supposed to record yesterday so yeah. that we went out at noon today. And you just didn't feel like coming. And you said when we decided we weren't going to do it yesterday that you felt bad. I did. You felt yeah, bad. And I, like I kind of missed out on a commitment. When, I, when we decided we weren't recording yesterday, our dinner plans changed because I was just going to have you know, some takeout while you were here. And then as soon as we found out you weren't coming, he was like, Bo was like, husband, that's husband, (laughs) was like, uh, okay, so where are we going to go to eat? And I said, I don't care. Where do you want to go? I don't care. Where do you want to go? Back and forth until we ended up heating up a bowl of chili here because no one wanted to go anywhere, even though that we expected that we were going to get dressed and go out now that it was just the two of us. And no, I'm putting my pajamas back on. I got dressed for an hour, two hours maybe yesterday. I got dressed for two hours. Hey, that's more than me. And then put my pajamas back on, had some chili, and watched some TV and went to bed. So I guess the moral of the story is this is the time where you're supposed to be you know, snuggling up, relaxing at home, sleeping more, healing yourself. Recovering. Recovering. So just keep that in mind. Give yourself a break. If you feel kind of like we do where I think I just felt upset that I wasn't, you know, sticking to my plans and and staying productive, but that's not always the best choice for you and your body. And you got to keep that in mind too, Mm -hmm. as you kind of, you know, want to meet your goals and give yourself a break. Yeah. So we just wanted to remind everybody everybody of that as we move into the holidays because, you know, in the holidays too, that can be a whole other topic, um, can just be so triggering for so many people, mm-hmm. um, having to spend time with family and, 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 you know, 
feeling obligated to spend time with people who maybe don't deserve your time or your love. Um, you have to ask yourself if the only time you see your family is on a holiday, what kind of peace and happiness are they bringing to you? If you only, I mean, unless you're thousands of miles apart, if you are down the road from them and the only time you see them or talk to them is at the holiday because you feel obligated, they're not bringing any peace or joy to you during your regular life. Why do you want to include them in the special times? Right. And so there's just a lot of pressure that goes on buying gifts on Christmas Mm -hmm. and food on Thanksgiving. Which you're not going to get very many this year, just by the way. We're we're giving ourselves a break from that this year, right? Okay. Everybody agree? We're this, good. This is my first year getting like my big girl checks. Uh, mm-hmm. That first. means you get down on big girls getting check. Big girl checks is getting big girl gifts because we decide you can buy your own shit. <laughs> you can buy your own shit. We 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 roll around in the store and you say, "Oh, I'd like that. Oh, I'd like that." In my mind, I'm like, "Why don't you buy it?" You're getting a big girl check. Just get it. Are you trying to create a list of things for me like you did when you were a kid? I I want this. I want this. I I want this. You know, it's one of those things where you see it and you're like, I would like to have it, but I don't want to spend my money. (laughs) This is a lowered. We are entering into a lowered expectation holiday season. Just enjoy each other. Yeah. I'm not saying you won't get anything, but And just because Being this warm. is a traditional family time, spend time with people who love and support you, who are your supporters, who help you out, even if they're not your family. You know, this is the time to spend time with people who do love and support you. That's no the best what. Christmas gift ever. Just somebody being there, somebody listening. Yeah. You know, being playing games. God, I, I cannot that. wait to sit around with the fire or without the fire in a warm place with a glass of wine and some Yahtzee dice. I just, I can't wait for that because it's the time that people take off. So they're off when I'm off. Yeah. So you get continued exec. I can't even talk today. You get (laughs) these extended periods of time where usually I'm grasping for time that other people are off with me. Because my schedule's so weird. But this time of year, people take days off that I'm now off. Yeah. Let's do some day drink. Well, well, not necessarily day drinking, but let's do, let's take some time where we just have fun. I agree. I agree. It's a good way to start this one. um, Goodness. Yeah, so. Because Thanksgiving is this week and we scrambled. And we are actually doing our Thanksgiving today. Today's Tuesday, so it's the day that the podcast goes live. Mm-hmm. Um, we're recording this, and then we're actually having our Thanksgiving dinner because I work as a nurse, so I work, and you work as, you know, an essential worker as well. So you work, and um, that's right. It can be hard to kind of find time, but you know, when you take that pressure off, goodness, yeah, we don't have to meet on Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is just time we spend together, and we don't have to cook either. You can order that shit. It's a little easier to do when it's not Thanksgiving Day. We're about to go pick up Thanksgiving dinner when this is over with and yeah. bring it back and heat it up. Yeah, we're not we're not making anything. It's just so this, just yeah. keep that in mind as you kind of move forward through this season. It's been so hard for me. It felt like it got so cold, so quick. Oh, it like did. Switch, um, 
and you know switching to nights it's been so dark and just hard to recover from so mm-hmm. just keep that in mind as you kind of move forward through this season um and we'll go ahead and get started so okay i'll go ahead and do our trigger today we're going to be talking about um childhood sexual assault sexual abuse um emotional abuse and manipulation so um Today, we are still working on the legal journey, mm-hmm. and we are getting into the actual trial, yeah. um, which we're super excited to talk about. It was a big part of our lives for a long time, and I think it's really interesting how it played out. Um, as we mentioned before, you know, fewer than 1% of... Oh, of these cases go to, go to trial? Very, very so few. It's a very rare... I think it had been like years... 10 since years. Our, since our DA. Mm-hmm went to trial with a case like this. So I this think is, she told me 10 years. So she had not been to trial in 10 years. In 10 years. Or, boy, the second, because there were two uh, attorneys during the trial, and I don't think right. either one of them had actually been to a trial because so many so things like this get settled. Right. They take a deal or- because when you know you're guilty and you've admitted to everything you think to yourself why are we going to this trial because that's stupid and this is what happened he didn't deny anything but we still had to go to a trial (laughs) this is stupid so let's get into it okay so getting into our trial where we kind of left off was the setup to the trial kind of legally um we talked about the how long it took to get there talked about how long it had taken you know i'm in college now by this point uh, we talked about the separation of charges that had kind of delayed things, and now we are moving forward. We have a trial date, and we are are in the trial. So the first thing I wanted to talk about was the subpoenas. Can you talk to Yeah, well, I mean, we were all subpoenaed by the district attorney, by the state, to be state's witness in this trial. So that was that was, was there. Expected. That was on record. That was expected. But there was a big wrench thrown in our expectations because the first day right after jury selection, I was handed mom, me, Charlotte, mm-hmm. was handed an envelope from the defense team that I was subpoenaed by the defense team. Now, what this means is they keep me out of the courtroom as a witness for them. I am out of the courtroom until they call me and ask me their questions. Because the rules when you are subpoenaed as a witness is that you cannot be in the courtroom until mm-hmm. you've given your testimony. Right. Right. So knowing the way... Um, the prosecution was going, I was going to be first. I was going to be the first witness so that I can be in the courtroom because of the support that we had established over the last two years with Emily and being the person that she can look at, being someone she can look at during a very difficult testimony. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to read a little bit of this transcript where um, Mr. Patterson, one of our... I'm just going to read this because this happened when I was not in there. Um, Mr. Patterson says, we need a ruling on something. And this is to the judge. And he says, okay. And he said, the mother of the victim is going to be one of our witnesses. Yesterday, 
Mr. Brown served her with a subpoena like he's going to call her in his case in chief, meaning I have something to offer Mm -hmm. for him, for the defense. While she's being handed the subpoena, I heard Mr. Finger say, now that means you're under the rule and you can't come in the courtroom. Miss Shipley is our prosecuting witness. She's the one we're deeming to be the representative of the family. I think she is entitled to be here. I think the case law supports it. Now, they went on to other arguments and stuff, but that's kind of what you hear. My, the prosecutor trying to argue so that I'm allowed in the courtroom, and it was not, it was not approved. They gave me, the defense, a subpoena where I could not be in the courtroom until I was called by the defense. I was called by the prosecution, witness number one Mm -hmm. in the whole trial. I was called by the defense, witness number last. Right. Until I mean, I was sitting on the witness stand when they said we rest our case. Mm -hmm. And the questions that they asked me were the most ridiculous it doesn't matter one bit questions, um, just bullshit, bullshit as a game to keep me out of the courtroom. Right, because the prosecution has all their witnesses that they call, and then it's the defense turn, and they have all their witnesses. And they're on a list provided to the defense. So the defense knows who's going to be called and they know they can cross-examine them. I didn't get cross-examined when I was witnessed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what that does is it pretty much eliminates my safety net in the courtroom. My mom could not step in the courtroom because we had to wait until it was the defense's turn to call. But, you know, the prosecution called me and my mom can't step foot in there because she's technically still witness for the defense. And that was heartbreaking, to say the least. That was that was terrible. I mean, and the thing is, this came to us. We, we, we show up at the courtroom Monday morning for the trial to begin. Well, first order of business is we need to select a jury. So the DA told us, you don't need to be here for this. It's long. It's boring. You have no part of this, so go have coffee, go do whatever. We'll call you when we have the jury selected and we get started. So it took them a little while. And I guess it was probably, it was in the afternoon. I don't know exactly what time, but they called us back because they had selected a jury and they put us in the courtroom, told us we had selected the jury, went through all the legal mumbo mumbo jumbo and then said, well, it's it's kind of late today. Let's not get started today. Let's get started tomorrow morning. So we already knew, okay, we've been here the whole day. Not much happened for us. And that's when I got the subpoena by the defense. So this came 12 hours or maybe, you know, less than 24 hours before we were ready to come in and start the trial. So this blew us back very last minute. And I said, what does this mean? And that's when it was explained to me that I would not be able to be in the courtroom. The safety net, the, the you can look at me anytime you get upset. I'm, I'm going to try to help you and calm you while you're on the stand. Went away the night before testimony was supposed to begin. Yeah. So that was disheartening and an underhanded, sneaky-ass trick that I guess most lawyers know how to use and 
I guess if I were on that side, I'd want somebody to use it too, but it sucked because we've mentioned this before on this podcast. There's not one single day, not one single person that has anything to do with this trial that showed up every day except for me. And then I was kept out in the hallway during your testimony, during the all the witnesses' testimonies, during the detective, during the sheriff, during all their testimonies. I couldn't hear anything during his testimony when he got on the stand. I couldn't hear any of the bullshit because in the in the transcripts that I was going over, uh, Mr. Patterson, our one of our district attorneys, specifically said, you know, she's the she's the family representative. She's the one I expect to hear his testimony if he chooses to testify and tell me if it's bullshit, if it's true, what what that meant. That ended up falling on my shoulders, right? Which shouldn't have. And your brother, he was in there with you. Opening statements because neither of us were able to hear the opening statements. Right. We, we, you we can't be in called. the courtroom until you've been called. So let's read these opening statements. I'm not sure if I've actually ever read them. Um, I'm interested to hear them. I think it's I think it's very telling. I'll read them pretty quick um, because they're not that long, but there may be some triggering things in here. So just kind of prepare yourself. Uh, it was the female. Uh, district attorney that read the opening statements um just for matter of fact uh, and both read closing statements but here she starts in jury selection yesterday you heard a little bit about what's going on an opening statement is when the state or the defense gets to present to you what they believe that their proof will show about the case at hand The case at hand here is a story, kind of, not a bedtime story or something that you would like to read, but it's a story of the life of Emily Duncan between the years of 2007 and 2015. You're going to hear about several events that occurred during her life between Emily and the defendant, Mr. Duncan, who was her stepfather for some of that time. And once there was a divorce, she continued a relationship as a child with him, would go to visit him on his visits. So you're going to hear about events that occur over a wide span of time. You'll hear about events that occur intervening in that time. So the charges that we talked about yesterday, aggravated sexual battery and statutory right by an authority figure. And in fact, you have just heard the indictments read to you that those are what the defendant is charged with. You hear aggravated sexual battery and statutory rape, and you may think we're going to hear about a use of display or force. You're not. There was no force used to accomplish an aggravated sexual battery. There was no force used to accomplish the statutory rape by an authority figure. What the defendant used perhaps was more sinister. He used the trust of his child. He used his position as a parent, as an authority, as a protector, as a teacher, to coerce and coax her into what she thought was a relationship, to turn her into what he wanted, which was a sexual partner, a lover. And it's not a process that took a matter of minutes or a matter of days, years, years in this process. During this trial, you will hear from the victim. Her name is Emily Varner. She no longer goes by Duncan. She will talk to you about an event that occurred, the first event that ever occurred when she was nine years old, how the defendant touched her when she was wearing her mother's robe, 
told her she was so pretty. She looked just like her mother, just like her mother, her mother who wasn't there, her mother who was working. She will tell you that this relationship progresses. She'll talk about how nudity in the house wasn't a big deal. She'll talk about sleeping nude. She will talk about sleeping nude in the defendant's bed. She will talk about alcohol. She will say her dad allowed her to allowed, allowed her a sip of alcohol every now and then when they would go for a visit. And she will talk about later on being allowed to drink with him. And she will talk further about being allowed alcohol and being by her father on an event, he's going to teach her about the effects of alcohol. It's a little it's a little weird because these are court docket trial things, so sometimes maybe they miss an and here and there. Anyway, you'll hear what happened then. You will hear when this relationship involves evolves into full-blown sexual intercourse. It's odd that the victim doesn't call it rape. She calls it sexual intercourse because she's been built up to this because she's been conditioned to this relationship. She was finally ready to have sexual intercourse with her father, the only man she had known as her father. She'll tell you about that. That starts in January of 2015 and the relationship ends in March of 2015, years and years after the abuse started. You'll hear from several other witnesses. You'll hear from law enforcement who went out to speak with the defendant. You'll hear from the defendant's own friend, and I'm not going to mention her name. It's in here. Met, met him some years earlier, the night that Emily reported to her mother that this has gone on. Defendant knows Emily has reported and tells his friend that he's a child molester. He doesn't actually tell her he sends it to her in a message. Yeah, this is a text message that's entered in, I'm sorry. Into, entered, into evidence. evidence. You're going to see that message from the defendant. I am a child molester. I have been abusing Emily. You're going to see that. You will also hear from the mother of the victim. She will talk to you about the circumstances of Emily's life, the circumstances of custody to the visitation. Listen to everything. Keep your mind open to how this could happen, to how you can hear a victim who says she wasn't forced, she wasn't held down, and she wasn't threatened. Keep your mind open to how under the circumstances that can be and that is a crime. I will have an opportunity to speak to you again after the proof is in, and at that point in time, I will ask you to find the defendant guilty of each and every count of this indictment as it's written because he is. Okay, so that's a pretty bold opening yeah. statement. Now, the opening statement by the defense goes, I'm not here to offer you some sort of justification, and I'm not here to offer you some sort of excuse. That's not what I do. That's not my job. We are in agreement that the activities that occurred between Mr. Duncan and Miss Farner were improper. They were wrong. Morally, they are not acceptable. That's not what I'm here for. This is not a court of moral conduct. This is a court of law. My job today, just like it is every other day of my life for the past 25 years, is to protect the rights and interests of my client. And today, my client is Mr. Duncan, and he's no different than any other in individual that I have represented in, represented in this court or any other court. He has an absolute right under our Constitution to require the state of Tennessee to prove each and every element of the offenses that have been charged in this indictment. That is where their case will fail. 
Not because we have some sort of moral excuse, not because we have some sort of moral justification for what happened between these individuals. Their case will fail because the offenses that are charged in the indictment will not correspond with the facts that you'll hear from the witness stand. At the conclusion of the proof, again, it will not be my job to come up here and try to convince you of some excuse or justification for what occurred. My job will be to ask you to apply the law that the judge will give you to the facts that you've heard from the witness stand and to return a verdict that is legally supported by what you've heard. That's how this system works. And that's what your oath entails. And that's what Mr. Duncan or any other individual that's charged with a criminal offense deserves from a jury. Thank you. So basically, all he said was, everything that happened is right, but we don't think they've given you the right charges. We don't think he's been indicted with the right charges. So we're going to say it was lesser charges. So that's why we had to go to court. Right. Because they thought they could get away with less time. They thought the charges were too harsh. Aggravated sexual battery and four counts of statutory rape by an authority figure. Even though he sat there and said, I'm not here to say it didn't happen. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm here to say I don't think they've charged it correctly. <laughs> but when they hear all the witnesses, they will hear exact accounts of uh, an authority figure <laughs> and a minor four different distinguishable times not arguing that this happened and then he says statutory rape by an authority figure is not appropriate yeah so that's the reason we had to go through this another thing that i kind of want to bring out to anyone listening is of course if you are not physically forced it doesn't mean nothing. it means that nothing means nothing and even the prosecution was like you'll see how this could have happened without physical force mm -hmm. well most of the time it happens without physical force most, most of, of the, the time. time so it's coercion most of the time it's coercion and, and fear right mm -hmm. and so just keep that in mind as you kind of listen that the legal stuff has nothing to do with what we actually experience mm -hmm. um, the legal stuff comes from skepticism so what I want to jump into next is kind of my testimony. Okay. Well, unless you want to go into your testimony well, my, prosecution. My testimony, I, I don't even think it I printed it. My yeah. testimony for the prosecution was fine. It was, I was first. That's the way it was supposed to be because I was supposed to be able to go in the courtroom after. But they basically asked me, how did we wind up together? How did I meet him? The circumstances of them calling him a stepfather, which is fine. Yeah. But the fact was he was on the birth certificate because it was it was it was crazy it was you know we were broke and here's your option pay these right. thousands of monies to legally adopt or hey we just signed this affidavit send it to the state to say i'm the father and boom you're the father so we decided to go that way as a married couple and so she had me explain that, had me explain what visitation was, had me explain how the visitation changed in the end and what I did for a living so that it was explained why I wasn't there. Sometimes midnight, sometimes overnight wasn't there, sometimes days. It was very technical. It was 
technically setting things up. Right, kind of. Um, And then there was my testimony. Mm -hmm. And that was, oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. So actually sitting here talking about it, I'm like a little like jittery. Like it was just so uneasy. It was so like unknown. Um, I woke up that day and I knew it was like, it was the day. Mm -hmm. I was going to have to testify. Hopefully the last day. You know, I testified a good couple times, but not fully, not beginning to end. I testified on certain events here and there. Um, and this was going to be the whole, whole dang thing. I think I was up there for a good couple hours. I mean, oh, I know you were. It, I think it took half the day. Because um, we went to lunch after yours. Right. Mine took maybe 30 minutes and then you were next. So, um, yeah. getting dressed, getting dressed. Um, you know, at this point, I am a full-grown adult. Mm-hmm. I'm a full-grown adult who's in college. That was part of some and, of this stuff in there. They wanted to introduce... And the more adult I was as this trial had gone on, the less they could see the kid that was hurt. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was a strategy for kind of delaying the trial as well. Because when I was 16, you know, you could see that I was still kind of a kid. Where you kick it up, now I'm 18, 19, mm-hmm. you know. Well, clearly she's an adult. She looks for grown AF, you know. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was really important. Not that I dressed like a kid, but it was important to kind of. Um, Not look like a. Full grown adult. Uh, I, guess, I don't know. It was super weird because you had to kind of consider that. You didn't want to look. Like a middle-aged woman who. Right. I don't know. It's really hard because you as. You're not there to defend yourself. You're not there. You have no reason to defend yourself. But you still have these ideas going through your mind that you don't want the jury to think X. You don't want the jury to think. Oh, that skirt's too short. Or you don't want them to think that top's too low. You know. never forget. Um. When the trial, when the charges first started back in 2015, um, I had blue hair. And before we went mm-hmm. into the preliminary trial, my grandmother took me to get my blue hair cut off <laughs> so that I didn't have blue hair walking into the courtroom. Which is, I mean, you shouldn't have to do some. Shouldn't matter what color your hair is or what you're wearing. That's. But it was like, it was just that super invasive thought of what if this. What if the judge looks at me and makes an assumption really mm-hmm. fast and doesn't want to, you know, this was the preliminary hearing. Um, so there were all these things that I would do to for my physical appearance to match what I hope the jury understood about this story. Mm-hmm. Even though, yes, in an ideal world, that would have nothing to do with the justice. But people right. are human and, you know, people in the story are going to wonder, you know, I think that was the big cross-examination. Why didn't you fight? Why didn't you fight back? That was the big one. Why didn't you physically fight? And it's hard to kind of convey the nuances of being groomed, right? Well, yeah. And I mean, it's it's hard to have a question like that come to you and have a jury look at a full-grown woman yeah. and ask the same thing to themselves when it was the nine-year-old yeah. or the 12-year-old that we're talking about at this point. It's not the person sitting in yeah. front of you. Right. So, yeah, grooming is not hard to explain. Grooming is hard to understand, to, to, to comprehend, I guess. It's not hard to understand. It's a fact. It's just hard to put yourself in that position because, 
under any normal circumstances, you wouldn't want to put yourself in that position. So it's hard to imagine. So coming in from my testimony, obviously my mom wasn't going to be there. This was the first time I was going to face my father in a courtroom. My mom was not going to be there because she had been called um, as a witness for the defense. There were (laughs) all these people in the courtroom that I like knew, but I didn't know that you'd seen before process. Mm -hmm. And it was time. You just had to go up there and do it. So I go up there at the defense ask or, or the prosecution asks questions that kind of talks about my story and we go through, you know, what had happened and, and then the cross examination Mm. just broke my heart. Mm -hmm. That, That was so hard. It was basically a grown man, you know. Right. You know, my father's. Sorry. (laughs) My father's defense attorney is looking me in the eyes, going, Well, why didn't you tell somebody? Mm hmm. Right. And, and. Why didn't you fight? You know, why didn't you say something sooner? Um, you know, did you have ulterior motives for saying something now? Um, your dad wasn't really your dad. Uh, he wasn't. You know, really your father, you know, he wasn't your biological father, so he definitely wasn't your father, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. Oh, just, a, just friends. A whole system of, of victim blaming. Right. It, it was basically sitting there for an hour getting victim blamed by the defense, which is so freaking hard. Mm-hmm. It was so hard to sit there and take that. It, it, I mean, it was, it was hard not to want to jump up and scream and, and, Gosh, I just remember any time we'd leave the courtroom, I would just burn a hole in the back of, you know, the defense lawyer's head. Because I was like, how could you ask me that? Like, I'm struggling with my healing. You know, I looked at it very self-centeredly. You know, I'm struggling with my healing right now. How could you put those? Obviously, those things are in my head. Like, obviously, they are. And my my vantage point was very different. Of Of course, I was outside the courtroom, but... And I knew what was going on inside, but I could not be there to support. So I was very frazzled. <clears throat> and here's what I saw. So I can only imagine what happened for those two hours. I see the courtroom doors open. And I see the bailiff escorting Emily out, fully standing and crying, and then going down like she's melting like sobbing and then she cannot she cannot even stand and she's coming towards me and I kind of catch her help her to the bathroom right now here's here's where I'm getting with this we get in the bathroom and I'm telling her it's it's okay it's over it's done it's done you don't ever have to do it again it's over and I hear of course, I don't. I don't have any idea what went on in there, but I hear our prosecutor and the defense attorney in the hallway, and I hear our prosecutor say to the defense attorney, "Say to him, God damn it, that was a eighteen-year-old girl or a seventeen-year-old, whatever." I, it was, it was as he was saying to him, like, holy shit, how could you have done that to her? Like, like getting in his face in the hallway. Are you kidding me? That is, that was, how could you do that? And that's what I heard him saying. I thought if our prosecutor 
is berating the defense attorney for how he questioned her, how he cross-examined her. I cannot imagine what it was like to be up on the witness stand. I, I just, I can't. And now I'm helpless, like I can't help. And then the defense attorney sees us come out of the bathroom together and has the nerve to look back at the prosecutor and say, are you kidding me? And point to us like, here we are, we're talking to each other. We're, yeah, we we're conspiring about, about what just happened when all I wanted was to hold wipe my, my daughter, wipe her tears off, get a little water on her face, let her breathe away from everybody else and tell her it was over, that it was over. Come what may, it was over. So, I can't imagine what it was when a grown man says to another grown man, how in the hell could you say those questions? How in the shit did you stand up there and ask those kinds of questions? And just and then, and then it's you know it's embarrassing on the prosecution side because you're telling all these disgusting details, and then it's embarrassing on the defense side because they're blaming you, mm-hmm. and then you're just cornered, and 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 then my mom couldn't be in there. It was just it was just awful. It was just terrible. It was so hard to do, and and you can't have anyone up there on the stand with you. You can't mm-hmm. have anything up there with you. You can't have a piece of paper. You can't have anything. Yeah, and it, it, it's a, um, understatement to say that if someone takes, oh yeah, he gave you his hanky. He stayed out with me, so I had some support and Nanny went in. I mean, that's embarrassing too to have your family. I know. And talking about like all these details and your family who you love so much you're having to tell these gruesome details in front of people that you would never and I know that they just want to be there to support me but at the same time you feel like this is never looking at you the same do you want to take a break okay but we love you no matter what I just feel like it's okay you did it, and it's an understatement to say that, that that took more courage than I'll ever have. I mean, I know that's not a lot of consolation for you or any other victims that get up on the witness stand, but it takes more courage to get up there than than most of the free world has. It is so stupid hard. <laughs> so just understand that there's, I always see that there's this, um, there's a bicycle gang. Oh that yeah. Come and sit in the courtroom. So, so you feel for kids, like so they feel the the strange part about where we landed though, with so many things um, for children, so many things was that by the time we went to trial, you an were an adult, adult and and right, those I services. Those, yeah, because you don't have a just turned into an adult. <laughs> You have me, and then they screwed that up. So, God, it was, oh, just 
terrible. Yeah. Ten out of ten. Don't recommend that. <laughs> just, just awful. Just terrible in every way. It's just not conducive to healing. So again, as we go through this story, if you are a person who chose not to press charges against your abuser, it's I it's okay. It's I okay. You don't have to take it to court. Um, to, to live your peace and live your life. This was somebody I wanted off the streets. This was somebody I wanted away from other human beings because I knew he was never going to leave me alone. And also keep in mind, if you're someone going through this, what we said earlier, say it. Tell your story because so few of these things actually go to the point of going to trial. You may never have to testify on a witness stand. You might, you're going to have to tell people what happened, but it could be in a in an office with two or three people who are writing this down and then the deal comes. So right. you may never have to get to this point. But, but my dad wanted his day in court. Oh God. So let's talk about um so we get through the prosecution, the prosecution calls the medical examiner that took a look at me. They call his friend. Um, yeah, his friend. They call, you know, a lot of people, the law officer. So we've got a good like group. The mm-hmm. defense The defense has two witnesses, him and me. Yes, the defense (laughs) calls my dad to the stand, which if you know anything about law or lawyers or literally anything, it's that, like, don't talk. Like, that's... Don't, yeah. And I remember mom wasn't in the courtroom because she was... I still couldn't come in because... So, so, so I was sitting in there because I was done with my testimony. I was sitting in there and... The defense lawyer stood up and said, against my advice, mm-hmm. he didn't even want Mr. him. Mr. Duncan wants to get up and testify. Because he just wants to be heard. He, he can't hear he, enough of his own voice. Yeah, he couldn't wait to tell his side of the story. He and the, was so excited to get up there. He was convoluted enough to think That's if he told his story in front of a jury of his peers that he would get anyone to they think what he him. did wasn't wrong. He was like, if I could just tell them. They'll understand. Yeah, they'll get it. They'll get it. Just boys being boys, you know. (laughs) So he gets up there and he pretty much says that everything I said was completely true. Boom. Done. With with a a sprinkle of I was sad about it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He pretty much says, like, what do you say that? What's that word? Cult. Corroborate. Corroborating. Corroborated. Everything I said. Agreed. Said yes. Everything is but, but. But I wasn't really an authority figure. It wasn't, it wasn't that bad. I wasn't really an authority figure. I wasn't really her dad. Doesn't matter. You were still 40 fucking something years old. Yeah. Nine, 12, 13, 15. Those ages do not match. It doesn't matter. It doesn't, I mean, it does matter. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. It does matter. But but I'm just trying to argue stupidly, which I can't do because I can't put myself in that situation when you're up there saying, but I wasn't her father. It's like, okay, so what? Everything else still was wrong. Yeah. Yeah, Everything else matter. was wrong. So one thing that he really uh, emphasized in her, he, he tried to um, take away the idea that I was coerced not to tell anybody, um, you know. That he never said, don't tell? And he said, I, 
after what happened when I was nine years old, he said he looked at me and said that I could tell somebody if I wanted to, right? And that's when the, <laughs> that's when the DA. Oh gosh, y'all told me that story. Off the stand got my dad off the stand, held his arm up to the height I was when I was nine years old, and said, "So you looked down at this little girl and said that she could report you." You know, like just. Just displaying the power difference in size alone. I mean, he was him being an authority figure. He was so smart in that too, because in when I was reading these transcripts, they were not able to get the picture of you when you were nine mm-hmm. entered, because the judge said that could be uh, pre. I, I forget what he called it, but um, like uh, prejudicial. Mm-hmm. If they see this little girl, they're automatically going to go, oh, and throw the book at him. But that's not the case. But they couldn't get the picture put in. So that very animated, physical thing, making him stand up up next to him and and then holding his hand to the height of a nine year old and say, you tell this little girl. It's up to you whether I go to jail or not. It's up to you yeah, whether you want to tell you. See what she does. Of course, she folds. And and yeah. it was it was from what I hear, <laughs> from what I hear, it was very impactful in the courtroom. Yeah. And he yeah, had that. balls. That Mr. Patterson had some big balls when he yeah, went in he with was, it. He wanted. It, it seemed like I mean I didn't hear it, but I feel like his tone was like, "You are sitting here." expecting 12 rational adults Mm -hmm. to believe this shit you're spewing? You know, like very much making him look like an idiot. Yeah, I mean, because that's kind of how he he was just like, if I could just explain it, but his version of explaining it was, it didn't matter. That it's fine. Right, that that it was okay. Yeah, here's why it was okay. And, And you expect 12 productive members of society to actually lean to your way of thinking on this you've you're you've lost your damn mind sir yeah you know it's it i can't hear the inflection when i read the transcripts i can't and i i so so wish i had been in there to see that beratement even if i couldn't have been in there for your testimony if i could have just been in there to see them so, knock him down. So he testifies. Mm-hmm. Now it's your turn. Mm-hmm. It's your final testimony. Do you have your testimony? Yeah, because okay, I'm the. This is this. the whole reason that I was kept out of the courtroom because I was questions that de- that de- the defense asked, which they could have asked on cross examination mm-hmm. when she was called as a prosecuting witness. So this is, mm-hmm. you know. This is the whole, this this is is how important it was to keep me out of the courtroom and to keep me from hearing any of the testimony. It says, called as a witness being previously duly sworn and examined and testified as follows. Mr. Brown, Miss Shipley, good morning. I guarantee you it was good morning. There was no (laughs) happiness in it. How are you? (laughs) He said, how are you? I said, I'm here. That is exactly what I said. I remember that. <laughs> and then his question is, do you remember where Emily was on Passover of 2012? Passover holiday. I said, 2012? I don't. And he said, okay. Right off hand. He said, how about Passover on 2013? Where was she on that day? Where should she have been? 
Mr. Patterson, objection. That's a pretty vague question. Where should she have been? Where should she have been? Where? The court overruled it. Where should she have been on Easter Sunday? That was my questioning response. So he said, or Passover of 2012. Very confusing here. Yeah. I said, I don't celebrate Passover. So if that's something different than Easter, I'm not sure. Yeah. He said, all right. Are you aware uh, if Mr. Duncan celebrates Passover? I said, not to my knowledge. Yeah, which we didn't. He said, neither one of you are very religious. Is that fair to say? I said, I would say that's fair. Right. He said, okay, did you celebrate Memorial Day? Probably, I mean, and then he interrupted me. Do you remember where Emily was 2014 on Memorial Day? I said, let me see. That would have been the last, that's the last Monday in May. So in 2014, she was probably still in school, but we, and he cut me off. Okay. I I don't know what point he was trying to prove. He cut me off. I said, typically she doesn't go to school on Memorial Day, of course. So out of school, maybe? He said, you have no idea where she was? I shook my head to the negative is what it says. He said, all right, you have heard previous to today, you have heard Emily refer to Mr. Duncan as her abuser. Is that correct? I said, I have. He said, okay, was she referring to Mr. Duncan as her abuser in 2012 or 2013? I said, not to me. He said, okay, did she in 2014 or 2000, excuse me, 2014, did she? I said, not to me. He said, up to May 8th of 2015, did she refer to Mr. Duncan as her abuser? I said, yes. And he said, prior to May 8th? I'm sorry. And I said, oh, prior to? Uh, Not directly to me, no. He said, okay. And it was in 2012, 2013, and 14 that she was coming to you and requesting additional time to be with Mr. Duncan. Is that fair? And I said, the end of 2012 was when we increased it. So she wasn't requesting additional time in 2013 or 14. It would have been the adjusting of time. One time they requested the overnight visits. And he said, okay, there were no, after the second parenting plan, there wasn't any additional documents filed with the court. Is that correct? I said, correct. He said, all right. And I said, based on my, yes, that's correct. I I just agreed. Sorry. He said, all right, but you allowed Emily to spend additional time with at Mr. Duncan's home. Is that correct? I said, correct. And then he said, and that was your decision to make, that was your decision to make, your decision. I said, it was. And he said, with Emily, it was my decision to make. It was my end decision. It wasn't the only input in that decision, but it was my end decision, yes. And he said, okay. And Emily gave you input into that decision that you made. Is that fair? And I said, she did. And he said, judge, I think that's all. What the fuck kind of testimony? What the, what did that mean at all? What did it accomplish to have me? I think he was trying to, at first was trying to prove that like my father hadn't gotten his scheduled holidays because we can't, we we, we don't know some sort of cookie cutter custody. (sighs) 
paperwork that had Passover on it. But what did it have to do with the charges at hand? It didn't. The reason I was called and the reason I was asked these bullshit questions was because if they never called me, if they got to the end and said, you know what, we've decided we don't need her, it would have been very clearly a play to keep me out of the courtroom. So they knew to save face, they had to put me on that stand and they had to ask me something. something. But... It was so confusing. It it's like Passover. Where should we? Was that Easter? I don't know. You know, it, it, it was just so that was a stupid legal thing that we had to suffer through that I didn't get to be in there, get, didn't get to be support, didn't get to hear it. Yeah. It was just stupid. And that makes me angry. Yeah. Yes. That would be. Makes me sad. Yeah. I mean, I was. I paced that hallway and granddaddy tried to settle me down and he couldn't settle me down. Of course, the two people, the two most emotional people that probably didn't need to be in there were me and granddaddy, but that doesn't matter. It wasn't, it wasn't about us. It was about you and being there for your support. Originally, Alex was going to be out of the courtroom. Nanny was going to be out of the courtroom. I was going to be the only one in there as your support. Right, for the embarrassment of the details. Right. So when I was kicked out, you know, we just sent in the troops. We got Nanny in there. We got Alex in there. We've got people. It's like, honey, I, I don't I don't know what to tell. I mean, I'm lost. I mean, it's heartbreaking. I'm lost. I'm like, you, you need the support. Just they love you. We love you. It doesn't matter what you say up there. We're here for you. But that was a that was an excruciating day, a couple of days, a few days. Week. Yeah, I think it was a week long, wasn't it? Monday? It was. They started with Thursday. jury selection on Monday, and they gave the. I'm pretty sure they gave the verdict on Thursday afternoon. Okay. So, I mean, we can we can talk about the verdict. We can go to another one because I feel like when the verdict comes in, um. It, it kind of automatically puts us into where we're going for the next few months until the sentencing came. So, so I think next episode we'll kind of talk about the closing statements, the sentencing, and kind of how that affected us moving on from the trial. We might we might let out some secrets that we don't know that no one knows here. Stay tuned for some secrets to be let out. Emily's going to be surprised next episode. Okay. Any last words? <laughs> um, Any words for anyone listening? I've said it. I've said it. We're here. If you just want to anonymously tell us your story, surviving on wine and cuss words at gmail.com. We will read it. We will get back to you. We will help you. If you're asking for help, we will get you resources. We will get you comfort animals. We'll get you a biker gang to come help your <laughs> child testify where they feel safe we will do whatever we can to help anyone surviving online and cuss words at gmail.com yes thank you so much for listening like i said we'll kind of finish off this story next time um and once we finish the story the story's not over because we are going to go back and we are going to pick topics that affected both of us it's when the story's over it's not over we're going to talk about specifics and how we dealt with them because that's where this help comes in it helps to know that Emily went through this it helps to know that I went through this as a mother it helps to know that happened but it also helps to get some details so this is when the story's over the story's not over
Right. We're here. We're going to be here for the long haul. We're not quitting. We're not giving up on this. We're here to help. Surviving on wine and cuss words at gmail.com. Surviving on wine and cuss words.com also has the actual podcast forum yeah, right now. We so, are working on getting that on all podcast platforms right now. So, just stay patient with us. But thank yep. you so much for everyone who's been watching on YouTube. Thank you I so much. I hope this is helping you and if it is please leave a like please leave a comment and follow us subscribe give yourself a break give yourself a break it's it's holiday season season, yep we appreciate it thank you Bye. bye